Welcome to Conspiracy Theories. Are you ready to ask questions you shouldn't and find information you're not supposed to know? Well, you're in the right place. Here is your host, Sarah Causey. Hello, hello, and thanks for tuning in. In tonight's episode, I wanted to record a sort of postscript to last week's episode about The Shining. After I finished recording, I went down the rabbit hole about this whole Omen JFK thing. Is that really what Kubrick was getting at? Does somebody just have bad eyesight? Is this even possible as a metaphor? I don't know, but I want to explore this together. So I'm going to pour something to drink. So let's saddle up and ride. After I finished recording the last episode, I went to take a shower. Just wanted to get my jammies on, get in the bed. And as I was standing there, I just kept thinking about Ullman and JFK. And then Bill, the summertime groundskeeper, like who does he represent? Is this even a valid theory? Some people get in the shower and they sing. Other people have fake arguments or they have mock Lincoln-Douglas debates in front of their shampoo and conditioner bottles. But not me, apparently. Yours truly likes to go down the rabbit hole. Even there, even in that sanctuary, I'm thinking about all of these various theories. But once I saw it, after watching Room 237 on Tubi, I was like, I had never even made that connection. I always thought it was a little bit weird that Ullman had this flimsy American flag on the desk because it just doesn't even seem to go with the rest of the decor. It's like, is he just patriotic and that's his way of showing it? I mean, Kubrick is so intentional with his details that I figured it had to be there for a reason and it struck me odd, but I never associated Ullman with JFK. And as you know, the pop-pop is something that I talk about regularly. It's a topic of great interest to me, especially the cover-up that was involved. The act itself was bad enough, but then being lied to and gaslit for all of these years makes it even worse. So I was surprised. Like, I, I had never seen it before. But then after hearing that theory posited in that documentary, I couldn't unsee it. So after watching Room 237, I rewatched The Shining again with my notes. And I was just like, oh, shit. <laughs> now that I'm sitting here looking, I feel like I can't unsee it. And from now on, every October when I watch the movie, this is what's going to be in my mind, that Ullman is some kind of stand-in for JFK. So the first thing I want to ask here is, is that even possible? I mean, does somebody just have really bad eyesight? Do they need to have their glasses prescription updated? Is it even possible for Ullman's character to have been stylized like JFK? On this issue in general, if you go to websites like Reddit or Quora, you're going to see a host of opinions. And on one of the Reddit threads, in fact, it's titled, There's an Idea That Ullman Resembles JFK. And I'll drop a link so you can check all of this out for yourself. There's a commenter who says, Ullman doesn't look anything like JFK. His hair is blonde and his style is completely different. He also doesn't dress like JFK. He dresses like Ron Burgundy, Red, white, and blue jacket, shirt, and tie combo at the interview, and the leather jacket slash turtleneck combo on the final day. So there's one obvious argument. I mean, does does Ullman even resemble JFK enough for us to say this is a possibility? According to JFK's United States Navy identification card, his hair color was brown and his eyes were green. To me, they look more like a 
bluish gray slate color than green, but that might just depend on what he was wearing and what kind of light he was in. I included a couple of photographs where you can take a look for yourself. But by no means would I say that Barry Nelson and JFK looked so much alike that you would have to smudge one with blue ink to know who the real JFK was. They don't look that much alike. However, in looking at these pictures of Stuart Ullman, just still photographs from the movie, I mean, like I said, now that somebody has brought it up, I can't unsee it. It's also, I think, worth mentioning that Barry Nelson technically speaking, was the first actor to play James Bond on screen. He was in a 1954 adaptation of Ian Fleming's novel Casino Royale on a TV show called Climax. So this was before Sean Connery became what we tend to think of as the first real James Bond in the movie Dr. No. So, I mean, it's not... Yeah, I mean, the guy has played a spy before, this sort of dashing, debonair, everybody, like Roger Moore said, everybody knows that he's a spy. They even know his call number is 007. They know he drinks martinis, but he's supposed to be a secret agent, wink, wink. Something else that's worth noting, when we go to Barry Nelson's Wikipedia page, Bond did not become well-known in the U.S. until President John F. Kennedy listed From Russia with Love among his 10 favorite books in a March 17, 1961 Life article. I mean, coincidence? Probably so. It's just another factor of, hmm, could this be Kubrick's nod in some way to JFK? Uh, My verdict is it's possible. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's probable even, but it's possible that Ullman has been given some kind of JFK-esque persona for the movie. Then we have to ask, why? I mean, of all the public figures that Kubrick could have chosen, whether it's politicians, movie stars, musicians, why would he have chosen JFK? This was one of the things, like, as I'm standing there taking the shower going, why? I'm desperately trying to figure this out because I feel like there's some kind of meaning to it. So when we go back to our Reddit thread, there's an idea that Ullman resembles JFK. The byline here is, if this is so, does Kubrick have something against his politics or is he just using an Americana aesthetic? And one person writes, he might be able to look He might be made to look presidential to strengthen the connection of the Overlook Hotel being a stand-in for America itself. And that's been upvoted several times. And somebody else replied this. That could be. Maybe he is this JFK-esque figure because JFK is so recognizable. I mean, he, he has distinctive features. And even all these years later, if you show somebody a picture of JFK, they probably know who you're talking about. And that even includes people in foreign countries, people who aren't even American, people who weren't even alive in the 1960s would probably recognize his picture. Think about the number of locations in other countries, not just America, but in other countries where there are streets, buildings, schools named after JFK. There are statues dedicated to JFK in countries where he was never even the president. So it's possible that Kubrick made Ullman look a little bit like JFK, a sort of nod in that direction, to let the reader know that the Overlook is going to be a representation of America. 
And this is one of the things that comes up also in the Room 237 documentary. Like, the Overlook is a stand-in for America. Ullman is a JFK-esque figure. And then Bill, the summer caretaker, is sort of like the guy that's really pulling the strings, almost like a Charlie India Alpha agent that's in the room glaring and being unfriendly to make sure that our JFK figure doesn't say the wrong thing. (laughs) What a metaphor is that? This is a theme that we see throughout any kind of pop-pop research that you want to do as it relates to JFK. There seems to be this real tension. Now, okay, the Noam Chomsky's of the world want to convince us that JFK was a war hawk. Vietnam would not have been canceled. He would have been no better than any of the rest of them. And maybe that's true. I think here you have Kubrick possibly letting us know the way that the world really works. We see this again in Eyes Wide Shut. Like, here's what these wealthy, hyper-elite people actually do. Yes, they have estates, and yes, they have grotesque sex orgies with these gorgeous women that can then be disposed of, like Mandy. Oh, ex-beauty queen dies of a tragic overdose. Isn't that sad? And then you have Ziegler saying, well, she was a junkie. It was bound to happen. So as I was saying, when you when you get into even the most minor research into the pop-pop, you're just barely scratching the surface on anything related to the JFK pop-pop. That's a theme that you see often. This tension that existed between the intelligence agencies and JFK. Remember, Alan Dulles was quoted to have said that little Kennedy thinks he's God. And he fired Alan Dulles. How convenient that Dulles winds up on the Warren Commission. <laughs> like, this guy who got fired by this president that's been murdered in the street is now going to be one of the investigators. Right. Because that's fair and balanced. Of course it is. Interesting. Somebody else on this Reddit thread writes, I thought it was purposeful. Hair looks like a wig and the desk has a small American flag on it. And somebody else says, I think you're right. I've heard it's a toupee. Now, I don't know if Barry Nelson was wearing a toupee or if his hair was just fluffed up that high to give this sort of, you know, Kennedy-esque look to it. Someone else writes, wouldn't be surprised if the guy who made Dr. Strangelove had criticisms for JFK. It may also be a way to more visibly associate Ullman as president in general, though since JFK has a quite recognizable modern look. This is also possible, that he has chosen a JFK stand-in because, as I mentioned, JFK is so recognizable, even to people that don't live in America, even to people that weren't alive in the 1960s. Now, this person mentions Dr. Strangelove. Here's another just like weird little coincidence to this whole story. In the same way that Barry Nelson had played the first on-screen James Bond, and then, oh, by the way, James Bond was not well-known in the States until JFK mentioned that he liked the book From Russia with Love. So here's another like weird little tie-in to all of this. Dr. Strangelove was supposed to be previewed by critics on November 22, 1963. Of course, that was delayed due to the pop-pop. Stanley Kubrick and, and I guess other people involved in the film felt like out of respect to the gravity of that situation, it wasn't the right time to release that film. I just thought that was interesting since this person on Reddit brings up Dr. Strangelove 
And there was, in fact, supposed to be a special preview on the day of the pop-pop that was delayed. So then, of course, we have our commentator who says that Ullman doesn't look anything like JFK. Somebody else says, no connection. JFK was a peace president anyway, which somebody else um, says, I don't think that's accurate. Actually, they have a meme of some woman saying, I, I don't think that's accurate. So presumably we have someone from the Noam Chomsky set here that's like, no, he was just going to war hawk like the rest of them. And the person replies, somebody else replies, Kennedy was more willing to come to understandings with America's international neighbors and tended to be skeptical of the war hawks who infest the upper echelons of government. What I will say to that, you know, especially having recorded the episode about all right, was JFK a war hawk or was he a potential peacemaker? I don't think that we would be living in utopia. The lion would not be laying down with the lamb and all these sort of biblical Jesus-type images. My, my conviction, based on what I've read so far, and at any point in time, I could read more books on this topic that change my mind in a different direction. Based on the data that I have access to so far, I've not seen anything that compels me to think that he wanted to blow the whole world to smithereens. I just don't see it. It seems to me that based on the back channels that he had opened with Castro and with Khrushchev, he was going to try to keep America and the rest of the world out of some giant cataclysmic nuclear war. He had plenty of opportunities to have gotten us into a cataclysmic war. In fact, the Warhawks were planning to do that. That's one of the things that I mentioned in that episode is that the, the Warhawks had already planned out that there would be this escalating tension between the U.S. and the USSR. And so then when the war happened, it would feel natural. It would, the, the American public would be ready for it. And Kennedy didn't go along with that. He could have, but he chose not to. I, I, I just... Yeah. <laughs> now that's my opinion. That's my analysis. And it, it could be wrong. Was he completely a peace president? No, no president ever is. But I don't think he was a complete war hawk either. Another commenter writes, the theme of Native Americans having their land forcefully taken by blood by the U.S. runs throughout the film. I think that's true, too. Especially because, you know, Ullman points out that it's on an Indian burial ground. There were Native Americans there potentially trying to attack the builders when they wanted to take that land and build that hotel anyway. You know, Danny slash Tony sees these elevators that are just gushing blood. They're Native American designs and Native American pieces of art all through the hotel. So it's possible that Kubrick is not criticizing JFK specifically, he's just using him as a representative. And when you think about the level of diplomacy and, and um, the slickness, maybe that's the word I want to use. You know, Omen, Omen comes across as a good salesman. You know, whereas Jack is sitting there and he's the, he's the job candidate that says anything to get the job. You could tell him, well, you're going to have to shovel dog crap every day, and then you're going to have to climb up on the roof and get down just by your fingernails every single day. Oh, no problem, sir. I'm happy to do it. He, he's just the, he's, he's overly, overly enthusiastic. He looks crazy, 
as hell and he's overly enthusiastic well then you have Ullman the smooth talker the diplomat the the guy who always knows how to put everything in very cushiony terms then you have the summer caretaker who just looks sunken and sallow and mad at the world that's an interesting trio of characters also on reddit from shitty movie details <laughs> what a name we find in The Shining, Torrent says, here's Johnny. This is because Jack Nicholson grew delusional during filming and thought he was John F. Kennedy, the 35th president of the United States, whose name was Jack. <laughs> okay. This, this is just another like, yeah, all right. <laughs> well, another just weird, freaky tie-in um, of these concepts. Now, there is, of course, the, the idea still that Kubrick is leaving breadcrumbs, no matter how subtle or weird, Kubrick is leaving breadcrumbs in The Shining to refer to a fake moon landing. Over on the Paris Review Org blog, we find it starts with the Overlook Hotel. We are told the hotel stands for America. It was once grand, but it has been allowed to dilapidate. I'm going to break in here for just one second. If we assume that this is true and that Kubrick had in mind that the Overlook Hotel is a metaphor for America and then he's using Ullman as a stand-in for JFK, there are people who feel that America lost its innocence the day of the pop-pop and that that event was just very horrifying and then you had all the bullshit, in my opinion, that came out from the Warren Commission. That was really when people let go of their naivete. They stopped just trusting whatever these officials said because they had been given so much bullcrap. They just couldn't take it anymore. The, the lies were too obvious and people couldn't just go along to get along. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe, okay, America was once this grand uh, apple pie flag-waving nation, which, I mean, look, I don't believe. Um, my, going back several generations, so like my fourth and fifth grandparents in one particular part of the family tree, they were Eastern Band Cherokee. And they lived in the southeastern part of the U.S. And their land was taken from them by force, and then they were forced on the Trail of Tears. And they are buried about 30 minutes east of where my farm is. That's how that part of my family got to Oklahoma. It wasn't because they came here by choice. They were forced here on the Trail of Tears. So I don't have any delusion of this idea of, well, once upon a time, everything was sunshine, roses, and lollipops and gumdrops, but then the 1960s ruined it all. I really think the 1960s just tore the veil back a bit. People were able to see the ugly a little bit better in that decade. And it's only gotten worse since then. But that's not a bad metaphor. Like, okay, here's this guy that for some people, represented Camelot, represented, oh, there's a young, attractive guy with a young, beautiful wife. Everybody loved Jackie. He's got a couple of young, cute kids, and sometimes they ride their ponies around the White House, and oh, this is so apple pie, and then he gets blown away by the, you know, sketchy powers that be. I'll continue to read. 
The role of the caretaker, a novelist named Jack Torrance, an artist like Kubrick, is to maintain the fiction while the foundation crumbles. The man who hires the caretaker sits behind a big desk with an American flag at his side and an American eagle behind him. He is the establishment and tells the caretaker an ugly truth. The site is supposed to be located on an Indian burial ground, and I believe they actually had to repel a few Indian attacks as they were building it. In other words, the hotel, like America, stands on the bones of its rightful owners. Later, the hotel is engulfed in a winter storm. That's the Cold War which drove JFK to make that silly promise about putting a man on the moon. Meanwhile, Jack Torrance is writing, compiling a manuscript that turns out to be evidence of a collapsing mind. And it is that. That's what taking part in a lie does to the artist and why he must confess, end quote. I'll, I'll break in again. This is another interesting potential metaphor that all of the snow, this winter storm that's trapping the three people inside the hotel more and more each day, along with, you know, the phone lines are not working. Jack sabotages the snowcat and the emergency radio. It's interesting to think of that as all of these escalations that took place during the Cold War. And then JFK feeling like he was over a barrel and needed to make this promise about going to the moon. I'll read just a little bit more. Jack's pages, it's a terrifying discovery in the movie, consist of nothing but a single sentence written again and again. All work and no play make Jack a dull boy. To the ordinary viewer, it's evidence of madness. To a conspiracy theorist, it's a message. All work, A-L-L, or A-1-1, as in Apollo 11. At one point, the caretaker's son, Danny, racing his big wheel through the enormous maze of halls, a maze duplicated by the hedge maze outside the hotel, a maze in which the family is lost, in the way the nation is lost in a wilderness of mirrors. By the way, uh, the term wilderness of mirrors is not used here on accident. Supposedly, the spy chief James Angleton had coined the phrase a wilderness of mirrors to talk about the kind of activities going on at the Charlie India Alpha. So I don't believe they're using the phrase wilderness of mirrors unintentionally here. In the way the nation is lost in a wilderness of mirrors comes upon two twin girls, creepy specters, the ghosts of children killed by a previous caretaker. Why twins? because Apollo 11 came after another fake, the Gemini mission. On the Zodiac chart, the symbol for Gemini is a pair of twins. The clincher comes when Danny gets up from his tricycle and walks down the corridor following a mysterious call, the sort that a government might make to a filmmaker in a time of crisis. The caretaker's son is wearing an Apollo 11 sweater. Weird, huh? It shows a rocket over the words Apollo 11. When he stands, it seems as if the rocket is blasting off, whereas, of course, it isn't because it isn't real. Danny walks, the rocket thus flies, until he finds himself outside room 237. Danny, who stands for the child in Kubrick, the artist, has traveled to 237. That is, all the way to the moon, only he hasn't, end quote. Now, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole in this episode of, of whether or not this The Shining alludes to some sort of faked moon landing. I'm pointing out here that we have more allusions to the idea that Ullman could very well be a stand-in for JFK. We don't, we don't get to any one firm answer, as is so often the case on this broadcast. As I've said before, we're, we're not always going to get to some resolute yes or no answer about something, but that doesn't mean a topic isn't worth probing. The website movieweb.com also mentions 
that the repeated pattern on the carpets of the Overlook Hotel are the exact octagonal structure of the Kennedy Space Center. But then they admit these are pretty flimsy arguments. Well, any of these arguments taken alone are somewhat flimsy. I mean, anybody really could watch the movie and say, you guys are all nuts. This is not, it's just a horror story. It's a ghost story. It's about a dude that gets cabin fever. In fact, I have an acquaintance that will basically try to fight anybody. I don't know what his deal is, man, but he will basically try to fight anybody who thinks that The Shining is not solely a movie about Jack Torrance going up in the mountains, getting cabin fever and going nuts. And I'm like, that's a rather simplistic and childlike view of what seems to be a rather complex film. Now, you don't have to go down as many rabbit holes as I've chosen to, but I think it's about a little bit more than just good old-fashioned cabin fever, right? I mean, that's part of what Ullman says to Jack during the interview. Oh, Grady got a case of what the old-timers call cabin fever. You know, that isolation can really get to you. That's another example of how he is taking this tragic event. He's telling Jack about what happened. He doesn't hide from Jack what has happened. But he's putting a um, rather buttery type of tone on it. Oh, you know, the old timers call it cabin fever. (laughs) Well, somebody can get a little shut in and stir crazy and not murder their family. You know, let's be real about that. So what do you think? Do you think that Ullman was chosen by Kubrick as some sort of presidential stand-in, whether he intended JFK because he wanted to make some criticism of JFK specifically, or he just wanted to have a recognizable politician. And then the summer caretaker, I mean, is he an Oswald figure? Is he a stand-in for the Charlie India Alpha or some other type of agency that pulls the strings behind the scenes? I think it's possible I'm still not completely convinced that it's probable, but I do think it's possible. So what do you think? Point to ponder. Stay a little crazy, and hopefully you will not choose to go down as many rabbit holes in the shower as I seem to. Maybe you can have a nice, relaxing night. And I will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with others. (laughs) 